For those remaining in the auditorium and watching online, please take your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. And this morning, we're hoping to cover verses 1 through 19. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. Today is Father's Day, and one of the key quintessential marks of a father is the dispensing of wisdom. These wisdom nuggets that dads drop. Oftentimes, as you're doing things along the way, they can also be in lecture form, either pre-planned or just spontaneous. Some of the classics, money doesn't grow on trees, were you born in a barn, close the door, we try to heat all of Charlottetown, don't take a whole piece of cake and jam it in your mouth because I told you I was going to take it away, maybe that was just my dad. Lectures, nuggets, wisdom dispensing, oftentimes from generations of fathers. Their father heard it from his father who heard it from his father. And as fathers here this morning, it is one of our uh, key components of fatherhood. Interestingly enough, then, in the wisdom and sovereignty of God, that's kind of what our passage is this morning. The pastor and the author to the Hebrews, Jewish Christians who are struggling with sticking with Jesus and are questioning whether or not they should abandon him and go back to Judaism, are now going to receive from the pastor, from the author, some wisdom nuggets. There is a plethora of wisdom here, and these are sort of imperatives after a lengthy list of indicatives. These are the practical outworkings of what the pastor author has said up to this point. He's been giving us a lot of theology, proving to his audience that Christ is superior. He's superior to the old covenant. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to angels. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited anointed one. Stick with him. And he has shown that to them through chapters 1 through 12. And now in 13, he switches gears. And so what does that look like as it evidences itself in our lives? This particular lecture from a father, if we can put it that way, is on the subject of love. Now love, especially in our day, is probably one of the most misunderstood concepts out there. Love has been reduced to mere sentimentality or it has been redefined as affirmation. And so if you love, you go along with whatever the person that you love comes up with. To love then in our culture, broadly speaking, is simply to affirm. And that, of course, is not what love is. And love is also not the same all the time. A famous phrase in our culture currently is that love is love. And that is not true. If I say that I love fried chicken, that I love the Toronto Maple Leafs, 
that I love my church family, that I love my children, that I love my wife, and that I love God, all of those are slightly different definitions of that word love. If I was to say to my wife, I love you as much as I love fried chicken, my sleeping arrangements for that evening may change. But we toss that word around as if it means the same thing across the board, and it does not. It's an excellent book I commend to you by D.A. Carson, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Get it, read it, digest it. Help you understand a little bit more about our culture. And so the author, the pastor, comes to us now after wrapping up, go with me if you would, to 1228, therefore, based on all that has been said thus far, and in particular in the back half of verse 12, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And the natural question we have is, so what does that look like? And the pastor author is going to say, this is partly what that looks like. So follow along with me, if you would, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, said you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. 
I urge the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of God. And so, in true fatherly form, we might say, the pastor now wants to get very practical with us. Not that the first 12 chapters of Hebrews have not been practical. Good theology should always be practical, and our practice should always follow good theology. But here, he wants to give us some wisdom nuggets, some proverbs, we might say, some, some practical outworkings of what he means by gratitude and acceptable worship. What does that look like? Well, first of all, internally, it means love for church family members. We have an opportunity to love those that also love God and are loved by him. It is a glimpse, as we're going to see in just a moment, of the life to come and also an example to those who are outside the family of God of what the family of God looks like and the benefits thereof. To truly define for a society that does not understand love and misdefines, misapplies it repeatedly, what true love actually is. We have the opportunity, not just every Sunday morning, but any time to show love for the church family members here at Grace Baptist. We have a family that's bigger than just our biological family. And it is our privilege to show love to them. And there are at least five different ways that we can do that. In the first place this morning, we can love others with God's type of love. He says, let brotherly love continue. There is a type of love that the author says should abound amongst the people of God. And it is this familial love, this brotherly love, this love that we are to show to those who are our biological siblings. We use that language oftentimes here at Grace Baptist, brother or sister. And it's not just a throwaway term, it ought to have meaning. There's a bond here at Grace Baptist, or ought to be, that's stronger than just this particular group of people gather in this particular place at this particular time weekly. We ought to have a sense that we are family and that the things that we do for one another and the sacrifices that we make for each other go beyond even our own biological family. You recall Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. And some individuals come and say to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside and they're calling for you. They want to see you. It's believed at this point that Joseph has passed away and Jesus, as the oldest son of the family, would be responsible now for his biological family as the man of the house. And so his biological family is saying, we have needs and this whole itinerant ministry thing isn't really doing it for us. Come, Jesus, we need you. And what is Jesus' response? Not an abdication of his duties and his responsibilities for his biological family, but what does he say? He looks around to the crowd and says, who are my brothers and sisters? You are my brothers and sisters. There's a stronger bond or ought to be a stronger bond between believers in Jesus Christ than there is even amongst our biological families. And it's that type of love, that love that sacrifices, 
that love that puts others' interests above our own, that, uh, that love that checks in on each other to see how we're doing, that love that encourages others on in the same direction, that love that holds us accountable in our relationship with God. This type of love, the author says, ought to continue. And there's at least a couple things that I want us to see just from this word continue. First of all, he's referring to the fact that this type of love is present among them. No doubt, thinking back to chapter 10 where he says, you gladly put up with the giving away, the taking away of your property. They had received persecution from the governing authorities. And he said, you gladly put up with having your property stolen from you, taken from you, in order to serve one another. And so he says, the type of love you've had for each other, encouraging each other, strengthening each other, sacrificing for each other, not looking out for number one, but looking out for each other, that type of love, that Philippians 2, Christ-like love, he says, you've already displayed that. Keep going with that. But there's something deeper here, and you miss it if you're not looking carefully. Go back with me, if you would, to 1227. In the end of that verse, the author says, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The word remain is identical to the word continue. So what is the author saying? We, as we saw last Sunday, are looking forward to an unshakable kingdom. Right now, things are not very stable. And this side of glory, they never will be. We're not really sure of our investments. We're not always sure even of our freedoms at this point in our history. It's not stable. And the things that we can put our attention and our time and resources and energy into, they're not, they don't last if they're directed towards the things of this life. But what God calls us to is eternal things. The things that do last, the things that are unshakable, cannot be removed. Lay up for yourselves, Jesus says, treasure in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't steal. We look forward to an unshakable kingdom, the unshakable kingdom that will remain. After all of this is gone, the thing that will remain. And what is one of those things that will remain? Brotherly love. The love that we're supposed to have for each other is one thing that will carry over into the new heaven and the new earth. Did you catch that? One of the things that we are doing now, or ought to be doing now, that will continue past the time, even as Peter tells us, when all things are destroyed by fire and remade in the new heavens and new earth, one of the things that is the same, one link between this time and the next, is brotherly love. So what does that mean? What that means positively is that as we love each other as we are supposed to, we are practicing, one could say, for what it's going to be forever. Say, but I don't love that person. They could be your next door neighbor. Forever. And I'm not really fond of them. Well, buckle up. They might have the apartment next to yours in the new heavens and the new earth. 
C.S. Lewis says you never meet just an ordinary person because we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, we're all eternal beings. And as you interact with your fellow believers in Christ, you are interacting with a being that is going to live forever and that you're going to be spending time with shoulder to shoulder forever. So we can practice that now. (laughs) And beautifully, we can show then to each other and a watching world what it's going to be like in the world to come. What What does John say? He starts in John 1, 18, he says, no one has seen God at any time, but Jesus declares him. And then he picks up on that in 1 John 4, 12, and he says, nobody's seen God at any time, but when we love each other as we ought to, we show God. People ask, well, I can't see God. We should be able to say, come with me to Grace Baptist Church. You'll see him there. This is what God looks like. This is what the love of God looks like. It's not the sappy, sentimental love that the world offers. It's not the anything goes, no holds barred affirmation love that our society offers. It's not the damaging, dehumanizing, anti-love that our culture offers. It is true love. It is God's type of love. And we should be able to see it in the interactions that we have with each other. Negatively, it means that if you are here this morning and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and claim to have been a recipient of his love for you and you are withholding that love from someone else, you are actively working against that type of love, you are actively working against the type of love that will remain forever you are actually showing that there's a possibility you may not be part of the life to come. Because if you are not loving in this this life with that type of love, how can you say that's the type of love I'm looking forward to when this life is over? Heaven is heaven because it is the presence of God Heaven is heaven partly because this type of love, self-sacrificial, selfless, getting down on our hands and knees and watching each, washing each other's feet type of love, that's the type of love that's coming forever. And so if you're here sitting in this morning and you're holding a grudge against somebody and maybe you've been holding it for an extended period of time, That's an indication that you don't understand God's love. You don't understand how much he's loved you, and you don't seem to understand that those types of things will not exist in the life to come. There are no grudges in heaven. There's no bitterness in heaven. There's no pride in heaven. There's no unforgiveness in heaven. And if we say that that's what we're looking forward to, then why aren't we doing it right now? And so the father, we could say, father figure, the pastor, the author says, love one another with God's type of love, let brotherly love continue. This type of love, let it continue. 
In verse two, love others personally and sacrificially. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Traveling in this time period of history was not a safe endeavor. There were inns, but they were extremely unsafe and dangerous and unsavory in the highest. As Christians traveled then, especially Christian missionaries and itinerant speakers, as we see from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and other places, relied upon Christian hospitality. That individuals would open up their homes to total strangers and take them in. This goes back to even when Jesus sent out his disciples. Go, he says, into the cities and look for someone to take you in. This practice goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The prophet's chamber, Elisha and others. No doubt the author has in mind Abraham, who actually entertained Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance and two angels who accompanied him in Genesis 18. Now our type of hospitality, if we practice it, oftentimes is reciprocal. I open up my home to the people that I enjoy spending time with And the hope is that they might open up their home to me. But I have certain people that I enjoy spending time with, and the others, meh. But what does he say? Do not neglect to show hospitality to who? Your best friends? The people you really enjoy spending time with? The people that can do something for you? No, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. There is a certain warmth when you travel and you meet a fellow believer in Jesus Christ and instantly they open up their heart and life to you and you do the same to them. That is a blessing and it is the type of blessing that we are to practice. We are to show hospitality, to give up of ourselves for the needs of others, to advance the kingdom. At the end of the day, we have a lot of differences in Christianity. But somebody has said, we think that we're living in the 15th century. We're actually living in the first. We think that the culture is still broadly Christian, and so the issues that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can fight about those and subdivide and subdivide and separate and separate because there's enough of us to go around similar to the 15th century, the last uh, great reformation. The reality is we are living in a time more akin to the first century. There is a war on the West, on Western culture. And Christianity is no longer treated as being a net positive for society, and it is not even treated indifferently. Christianity is seen as the problem. And labels are thrown around against us as Christians. So church here at Grace, at the end of the day, if you are in a battle and the person in the foxhole next to you happens to be a different denomination than you, happens to disagree with you on some secondary issues, but they love Jesus and you love Jesus, guess what? You're on the same team, fighting the same battle. Stop turning your gun on each other. We need each other. We've always needed each other. 
But God has blessed us historically with peace. And what have we done with that? We fought. Not our, not our flesh, which is the first thing we need to fight against, and not the world and the devil. No, we fought against each other. And that time is long past. Love one another personally and sacrificially. Love others intentionally, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Not in the body of Christ, but you are physically in a body. And so you can understand what it would be like to be in prison if you yourself was there. So remember those who are being mistreated. We know that this has happened because of chapter 10. Some of their number have been persecuted and have been put in prison. And we tend to adopt the out of sight, out of mind philosophy. And the author of Hebrews says, don't do that. There are those that used to be a part of the family of grace, still are, but are not able to physically gather with us. Don't forget them. There are brothers and sisters of Christ that are being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Don't forget them. Just because it's not happening to us right now does not mean that it doesn't impact or affect us. We ought to view ourselves as a bigger family than we do. And if one of us is suffering, then we all are suffering. And the author of Hebrews says, don't forget that. In the fourth place, loving one person intimately and exclusively. There is a type of love that most models God's love for us, and it is the love of a marriage covenant. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. True love, God's type of love, has an exclusivity to it, an exclusivity that our culture seems to abhor. If you got love, man, give it out. Spread the love around. But God's love is exclusive, as it ought to be. God loves us. That love is unique to us. God loves his people differently than he loves those that are not his. And that's not only okay, that's beneficial. <laughs> that's the way it ought to be. And so when we make a covenant to be true to one person for the rest of our lives, that is bigger than just the two individuals involved. That is a picture of the type of love that God has for his church and for his people. That our love is intimate and exclusive to an individual, not to multiple individuals. That is the type of love that protects. That is the type of love that guides. That is the type of love that flourishes. For us to understand and know that before God spoke anything into existence, his love abided on us. 
that ought to enable us to serve him the rest of our days and to praise him now and throughout all of eternity. There is a uniqueness to the love of God for his people. And there ought to be a uniqueness that we have for his people and a separate uniqueness for the love that we have and reserve for our spouse. And we should not compromise on that and we should not ask forgiveness for that. Our culture is moving as rapidly away from that type of love as it possibly can. And as believers, we need to hold the line. This type of love is the best type of love for human flourishing. And the type of anti-love that our culture promotes is not. It is the way of death and destruction and darkness. It is not the way of light. So God says to us, Christian marriage is to be protected and to be celebrated. And we ought to do that. And then lastly, we need to love God supremely. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Because we are loved by God and know, as it says, that God will never leave us or forsake us and that God is our helper as we started our liturgy with this morning, what can man do to me? That gives us the confidence we need to live in light of that, willingly sacrificing for him. Not bound by love of the things of this life. Godliness with contentment, Paul will say, is great gain. Now, he is saying here, keep your life free from the love of money. It is not sin to have more money or less money. What is problematic is discontentment. What is the issue is God is not enough. His love is not enough. Therefore, I need to supplement that love with something else. God plus, fill in the blank. And the author of Hebrews says to us, God's love is so abundant, so amazing, so all-encompassing that we can say with Job, I came into this world with nothing and I will leave it the same. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the question is, is that evident in our lives? Are we sacrificing for the cause of Christ? Are we investing in that which is eternal? Or are we investing in that which will be destroyed? Love for church family members, verses 1 through 6. Secondarily, love for our leaders, verses 7 through 17. Love for our leaders. Not in a cult-like way. The author of Hebrews is not saying, worship your leaders. The author is not saying, follow your leaders regardless of what they say or do. But he is saying, love those who lead well. It's appropriate to have a Father's Day. 
It's appropriate to honor fathers who have led well. It's appropriate to honor those who have been there to guide their families appropriately. And so he is in this position as he writes, and he's encouraging those he's writing to to honor those that love the truth and have led them well in that. And so, love, truth, and those who lead in it, verses 7 and 17, the bracketing verses of this section. Verse 7 probably relates to those leaders that have passed on. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As I went through Ecclesiastes a few years ago, there's a verse there that says, better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. And we initially scratch our heads at that because that doesn't seem to be the case. But the point that the author of Ecclesiastes is attempting to make is at the end of a life, we can assess that life as a life well-lived or not. But at the beginning of life, it's all potential. We're not sure. And so it seems that what the author is saying is, remember the leaders from your past who led you well. Consider their outcome of their way of life. Perhaps he's even referring back to chapter 11. Remember individuals from the past that have lived well. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Were they full of joy? Did they have peace? Did they evidence love? Did they have contentment? Did they have the intangibles of life that we all seek? Consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider their faith and imitate it. And then in verse 17, he seems to be referring to the leaders that currently are leading them. Obey your leaders currently and submit to them. Why? Because it's a power trip and the leaders want all the power? No. What does he say? They're keeping watch over your souls as those who give an account. I understand that the calling of God in my life is a high calling indeed, and I will stand before him one day not just to give an account for the things that I've done personally, but also in this context. It's a weighty thing to stand up before you every Sunday and say, thus saith the Lord. Because if I say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord did not thus saith, that's a problem. It's a weighty calling. But I believe in this, there is also an accounting for those that I have shepherded. I believe there is a distinct possibility that God may ask me one day about each of you. And what does he say? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I hope that the leaders here at Grace are not leading you because they can lord it over you Jesus says that's not the type of leadership that we should follow, submit to. That we have some sort of ego and power trip. But I hope that our hearts are, we want what's best for you. We want you to honor God as we attempt to honor God. And so there's times where we need to say things to you that you don't want to hear. And there's conversations we need to have with you that you don't really enjoy. And there's two options. You can either reject that, get mad, get upset, or you can take it with the heart it was intended and say thank you. In the middle of one of your father's lectures, 
Did the thought ever pop into your head, this is good? Hang on, slow down, Dad, slow down. Hang on a second. What was that again? That oh, was good. That's a good one. Rarely. And yet, have you ever sat back and thought, thank you, Dad? I don't remember all the lectures. I don't remember all the wisdom nuggets. But the ones I do remember, thank you. Thank you for those. They've stood me in good stead. I didn't want to hear them at the time. I may have even rejected them for a time. But I now see that you were right according to God's word. Especially now that I have children of my own. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Those that are truly called by God to lead, that ought to be their heart. They want to honor God, and they want all of you to honor God. And so when they come to you or when you come to them and have those hard conversations, don't reject those. Don't become embittered. Be thankful. See the bigger picture. See past the pettiness and the pride and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for placing in my life people that care enough about me to tell me what I need to hear and not just what I want to hear. We don't need more fans. If you want those, turn to social media. What we need are friends and leaders who love us enough to have the hard conversations in our lives. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls. So love truth and love those that lead you in it. Love truth even when it costs, verses 8 through 13. It's costly to follow the truth. And those that the author of Hebrews is writing to are fully aware of that and have suffered for it. But he reminds them that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has not changed. His love for you has not changed. His promises have not changed. His presence has not changed. Things grow dim. Christ ought to shine all the brighter. So don't go away, he says, after these diverse and strange teachings, going back to the law or mixing law and grace. He says, don't do that. We have a far better message. We have a far better Lord to follow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have your heart strengthened by grace, not by foods or other legal things that might come in, legalese and Pharisaism. Don't follow after that. Jesus suffered reproach for us. You recall from our study in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 27. The bull that was sacrificed for the sins of the people and the sins of the high priest, the blood was let out of that animal and sprinkled on the altar beyond the curtain. But what happened to the animal itself? It was brought outside of the camp and burned in its entirety. No one benefited from that sacrifice. The whole thing was burned. And where was it burned? Outside the camp. What did Jesus do for us, according to the author of Hebrews? Where was he crucified? Outside the city, on a cross, the most despicable form of punishment, the most shameful form of punishment in both cultures. In Jewish culture, in Deuteronomy, it says, cursed everyone who hangs upon a tree. And in Roman culture, why would they publicly display execution victims for public shaming? 
Bow before Rome, because if you don't, that's what happens to you. And Jesus did that for us. He hung on that cross for us, bearing our reproach and sin and shame. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't follow the easy path. It's easy just to sort of fly under the radar, not ruffle any feathers and not push back. Doesn't mean we need to be jerks for Jesus, but what does it mean? Truth is costly. It's going to cost you something, and that's okay. Love truth. Truth is what we ought to love. And so in verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If there's a brother or sister in Christ that's suffering for the cause of the gospel, support them as much as you can. Support each other. Help each other. Love each other. Stop the fighting amongst each other. If you have an issue with somebody, deal with it. We've got that in our church covenant. That's part of the promises we make to each other as members. Deal with it quickly, Jesus says, so we can keep moving in the same direction. What would happen if people were actually united on the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to John 17? What happened to 11 men and a number of women who believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Shortly after Jesus' death, through their unity and their submission to him, they turned the known world upside down in an environment that was hostile to their message. The more people that were killed, the more people came to Christ. Would to God that we'd have the same spirit today. Love truth even when it costs. And love unseen truth tangibly, as we mentioned, verses 14 through 16. This is not our home. We're just a passing through. This is not what we are working for. We seek the city that is to come. So continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Love unseen truth tangibly. We know what's coming. And so based on what's coming, live tangibly in light of that right in the here and now. Yeah, but I need all this stuff. The stuff that's going to burn up? That's, that's the stuff you need? The old joke that somebody takes a, a whole suitcase full of gold bricks to heaven and the angel at the gates wonders why they've bought a whole duffel bag full of pavement. Th- this stuff, this is what you need? Yeah, but I need this... But what about what's coming? What, what about what you actually say that you're longing for, looking forward to? Are we not tired of all of the greed and the lust and the jealousy and the discontentment and the pain and the suffering? Are we not tired of all of that? Do we not long for a day when that is not going to be the case? Well, if we do, start working towards that right now. We have the opportunity every day to work towards that, to live now in light of what's coming. And then in verses 18 and 19, love the big family of God. Pray for us. We want to act honorably in all things. And do this so I may be restored to you the sooner. There's not an exclusivity in this sense in the family of God. Because whoever is writing this, Paul or someone else, They're saying, I'm out serving in a different capacity. Pray for me in that. Yes, I long to be a part of you, again, to be restored to you. 
But Paul does this all the time, his closing in the book of Romans that we went through. What does he say? Pray that I might come to you. I have a, an offering that I have to deliver to Jerusalem first, but after that's done, I'd love to come to Rome. He gets there, not the way he thought. But then what does he say? Because I want to be refreshed by you so that you can help me get to Spain. There's people in Spain that don't know about Jesus. It's not about us. Never has been, never will be. It's about him, the events of his kingdom. We ought to get goosebumps when we hear stories of people receiving a copy of God's word in their language for the first time. And we can be a part of that. We ought to rejoice when someone goes through the waters of baptism. We ought to just sing God's praises when someone says, I used to be running from God, but now I'm running to him. I used to hate him, and now I love him. Every single time that should bring joy to our soul. That's what we're engaged in here at Grace Baptist Church. And not just here, but anywhere that's happening. We want to be a part of that. Love the big family of God. So what is our response then this morning? Love as God loves us. In our own strength, impossible. Through his strength and by his grace, not only possible, but necessary. We need to love with the type of love that God loves us. Let brotherly love remain or continue. This is one thing in this life that is going to carry on into the next. Thanks be to God. So let's be doing that now, shall we? Let's greet one another. Let's fellowship with one another. Let's give hospitality to people that we don't know and that we don't like. Radical. Let's love with the type of love that God has loved us. Let's understand and appreciate that all the more. And so as we have submission to him, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and then give to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What does that look like in part? It looks like this. Love. Love as God loves. And show him to those who desperately need him. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. It is so good and so rich and so timely and so deep. And we are such, in such desperate need of it. Father, help us to love one another. The reality is we, are, we have differences. And that is not against your plan. That is not a mistake. That is part of your plan. Father, the reality is we are going to have conflict. But Father, the further reality is you have made a provision for that. You've given us your word, step-by-step -step instructions for how to work through that so that we are not stalled in our forward progress, loving you greater and loving each other more deeply. Father, we live in confusing and confused times, but we have clarity not as a matter of superiority, but as a matter of your grace to us. And so let us humbly, winsomely, lovingly live that and speak that to those in our sphere of influence. We have stability, clarity, purpose, meaning, truth in a culture that is full of a cacophony of voices and isms and beliefs. We are not God. You are God. 
and you love us more than we possibly imagine and help us to love each other that same way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.